Welcome to It's a Nice Place to Brew with Jason and George, a show about all things beer and beer making. Gentlemen, please broadcast responsibly. All right. Okay, we think he, uh, think uh, all the uh, technical instruments are working at this time, so we're just going to dive right in. Hello, and thank you for joining us for uh, episode two of A Nice Place to Brew. Yes, thank I, you. I am Jason. And I am George Zerpe. And with us is uh, the special uh, brand of brains of the operation. This is uh, Sid Gedkari. Sid, thank you very much for joining us. Hello, everyone. It's quite Cheers. a pleasure to be here. It's a pleasure to have you. Cheers. Anyway, we are uh, late into springtime now, uh, well into May of uh, 2015 now at the time of this recording. Um, and many things have, uh, have changed since the, uh, since the first recording. We have brewed um, not just one, but two different batches since the last recording. We have upgraded equipment, yes. and uh, we've uh, gotten reviews uh, on some of our uh, projects. It's been uh, it's been a month of growth. Yes, it's, it's been it's been great. When we've got some uh, got some great stuff here for the show for you guys. Roller coaster of emotion all the way around. It, it very it's, much has, yes. but but uh, with that roller coaster has come some good <laughs> lessons for us uh, some good beer out of it and uh, plenty of good things that we'll take uh, take down the road for us absolutely yeah so anyway um, we're just gonna dive right into uh, our first segment um, as uh, as from the first episode uh, we go past present future we start off with uh, past where we talk about uh, three different brews that we've had uh, since we uh, last broadcasted I am going to uh, start off, and um, I'm going back to kind of my uh, my core of the beers that I enjoy, as I'd uh, mentioned in the first episode. I have uh, always been a fan of the stouts, and I've got two good stouts to talk about, and I'm going to start off with a uh, brewery here in Illinois that I'm a big fan of, and I uh, look forward to sharing with uh, Sid and George in the very near future. It's a brewery called Imperial Oak Brewery, located in Willow Springs, Illinois. The place has been open for about a year now. There is some fantastic, fantastic beers made at this place. They're changing taps constantly. It is well, well worth uh, going to and uh, and having a few. The one I'm going to talk about is a brew called Utter Madness. It is a uh, it is a stout that they uh, that they made. It's a uh, imperial double stout with an alcohol by volume percentage of nine point four. Last show, I also talked about uh, the uh, unique differences between the taps of uh, CO2 versus nitro, where I had had a uh, nitro beer that I enjoyed immensely and uh, kind of walked away kind of thinking very positively about just how the, about the whole nitro experience and just what a, how different it is and how good it can be for certain beers. This was one... Uh, this was a beer that I had on Nitro where I walked away wishing that I had had it on uh, on a CO2 because um, the difference with the stout uh, and one of the signatures of the stout is you've got a heavy uh, uh, bubble uh, flavor at the sitting at the top. With the Nitro, it kind of offsets that and did not leave a whole lot of uh, foam at the top for this. For the so the drink of, of this was was quite different. The flavor of this was was great. All in all, it was a good stout. I just wish I would have had it on on CO on, on a CO two. Hmm. Yeah, never thought I'd hear you say that. I know, <laughs> <laughs> so, but uh, I'm not. That's no fault of the brewery or the beer at all. It's uh, 
just I should have made a different call <laughs> that that <laughs> night while I was there. Did they have the non-nitro option? I believe they did actually. Okay. All right. Yeah. Be interested to see a side by side of that. If you know if they could do that. When we finally get out there, let's make that a point to do that. All right, we'll do that. Yeah. Um, my first one for this time is is from a brewery called Four Hands, and it's called Send Help. Uh, it's a, an American blonde ale, and all right, so. The last time I had a beer in a can was probably five, six years ago. Uh, we've been doing, I've been drinking basically beers out of either draft or bottle, you know, for, I guess, five, six years. And um, this one was in a can, and I don't know if that was part of the problem or if the beer was just not great, but the the... And, and, and Blondale tends to be a little bit more upfront, but at the same time, it's kind of kind of smooth, kind of lagerish. And this one was very like not astringent, but sharp, and and it was hard to drink the whole thing. So it's not one that I would recommend. Um, I would like to see it on a draft and see if it makes a big difference in the flavor. Um, but that's that. That would be my recommendation given my current experience. You and I had a conversation about this probably when you had uh, when you uh, started uh, drinking that that can of that beer. And this may be controversial, and I would gladly open this up for a conversation on uh, one of our social media sites. There, there's a bit of an argument that can be made that beer that's drank out of a can has somewhat of a different makeup and preserves a little bit differently versus being in a glass or a keg. And I would argue that the taste side by side from a can to a bottle is just going to be inferior. Well, yeah, it's definitely going to be different. Um, you know, I mean, growing up, <laughs> I shouldn't say growing up, but when I was <laughs> able to drink beer, uh, and my, my, back in uh, Sid's, er, uh, back in George's <laughs> early days of drinking, <laughs> my family was a big fan of, you know, your top level commercial breweries and, and a lot of them did come in a can and I don't know if it, you know, I just didn't know what was going on back then or, or what have you, or I didn't have anything to compare it against, but I feel like since then since you know branched out into other brews and things like that that the experience in a bottle or in draft is is just so much better it's very different like you but said i'll tell you what i'll do because that's an intriguing idea i'm going to go ahead and go out to a nice place to brew.com put that up as the poll which do you prefer do you prefer it as a can as a bottle or as a draft that's fantastic <laughs> That's going to make a great poll for sure. Yeah, you know, that's one of the things I should have said at the uh, at the at the front of the show. That is one of the things that um, that has uh, come up and come to fruition over the last month since our first broadcast. George has put in a lot of hours and done some fantastic work putting a, a nice place to brew dot com together. It is live now, along with all of our other uh, social media sites. Head on over there. It's 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 a great setup. It's got everything that uh, that we're currently doing. It's it's well worth going to. And uh, as Georgia just mentioned, we're gonna have a poll about uh, preference can versus bottle versus draft. So yeah, uh, let us the, know on the site. Not to, to you know, I'll just say one thing, and then we can get back to what you guys want to hear about, which is which beers did did we like? 
you know, speaking of which, you can find those online. So we're going to be posting reviews and we're going to be posting um, some sketch recipes of things that we've done. Um, so it's not just the podcast that you can get off the website. You can get our, like I said, sketch recipes as well as our reviews of other people's brews that we've drank, you know, over time. So there's definitely going to be more up on the website than we'll, we'll be able to talk about during the podcast. So feel free to check in every now and again and we'll uh, let you know when we have new content up there for you. Which will be very frequently. So yeah, definitely make it a point to head over there. Next brew, sticking with the uh, the st- uh, stouts theme that uh, that I'm talking about today, I had one of the best stouts I've ever had in the last month. The name of this stout is Plead the Fifth Imperial Stout by Dark Horse Brewing out of Marshall, Michigan. This is an imperial, uh, I'm sorry, American Imperial Double Stout. Alcohol by volume on this, 11%. Wow. 11%. That's a heavy one. Yeah. Uh, this is uh, apparently a limited edition brew. It's uh, sold once a year, and it's brewed for about uh, about a month's period. The flavor of this beer I would describe as a roasty malt flavor uh, with a definite hint of chocolate in it. Again, just a just a fantastic beer. It's difficult to find, being that it's a uh, it's a limited brew. Um, it was uh, it was gifted to me from a uh, from a friend. Uh, it was one that I had to sit uh, and sip and savor, and it became kind of a uh, beer to slowly enjoy, kind of similar to um, Dragon's Milk for anybody who's had Dragon's Dragon's Milk before. Um, this has a bit of a darker flavor to it, if um, if that's uh, what you enjoy. All in all, just a fantastic stout. If you can if you can find Plead the Fifth Imperial Stout, it is well worth drinking. Is that something that you can usually find outside of Michigan, or is it just you know because you got the hookup and know a guy? <laughs> I didn't think about that until just now, but uh, the friend that gifted this to me was from Michigan. Okay. So I'm not sure. That's a good question. If he had bought it up in Michigan, or if he found it uh, here in Illinois. Okay. I might have to find that out. Yeah. Uh, another one that I am going to bring up is. Uh, by a brewery called Third Shift, which I am given to find out is apparently owned by Coors, maybe? So, a little surprising, but hmm. I know it was a regional brewery before it was purchased, and uh, it's called Third Shift Rise to the Top. Uh, this one stood out for me because it's actually... Oh, okay. It's actually a cream ale, and that is a bit unusual to find commercially. Um, and it, it's... It, for you guys, it, a cream ale is usually much more smooth. It's it's it is a clear, light beer, um, but you know, moderate alcohol content, not very hoppy, but it is very um, smooth to drink. And you sometimes, I mean, the name cream does apply that sometimes it has lactose in the in the in the make, making of it. Um, adding a little bit of a creamy dairy quality to it, I was very good, and um, it was it was something I discovered on my on my frequent travels up to Minnesota. Very good. We have made a cream ale before as well. Yeah, we did. Uh, that was our last extract brew. Uh, no actual lactose in that that I know of, unless it was in some of the uh, extracts right. that we got, right. but. Uh, but yeah, that, that turned out pretty well as well. 
Very good. So we have a mutual one that uh, that we're both going to talk about here. So we're going to kind of tag team on this one. Yeah. This is a uh, this is a brew that's uh, that's in, that's presence here in Illinois is increasing very rapidly. I'm not. I'm not sure if I'd ever heard of this brew before this uh, before this past recent season. Had, had you seen this around the uh, area before? It was one of those things that I've heard of, but I've never encountered. Okay, so you so you'd heard a little bit more about this than, than I had. The beer that I'm talking about is called Not Your Father's Root Beer, made by Small Town Brewery, and it's made right here in Illinois, and it's in uh, Wakanda, Illinois. Again, I'd never seen this beer uh, before, probably five or six months ago. And uh, it seems to be kind of a breakout beer uh, here in Illinois just this year. Yeah, it's one of those that kind of defies classification. It's not a stout, it's not a porter, but it's definitely dark like those. Uh, We saw it on the menu, I actually saw it on the menu as other slash vegetable. And I think that's a pretty accurate description of what's happening Other here. Slash vegetable. Yeah. Wow. wow. You know you got a unique beer if that's your uh, if that's your detail. Yeah. So I mean, it's called not your father's root beer, and in my mind, this is a super dangerous one because it is ten percent alcohol. Off the tap. Off the tap. Yes. In the bottle, it's like five percent. Five point nine. Yeah. So off the tap, it's ten percent. I highly recommend it in draft form, and. It does not taste like it. It tastes like a slightly, slightly alcoholic root beer. Exactly. Yeah, it tastes more like soda pop than, than a beer at all. Yeah. And it's just fantastic. Yeah. It really is. It's 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 very sweet. It's very drinkable. It's it's very, it's it's just a great drink to have. And I think in the summer months, I think it's only going to get better. I think so. Yeah. Especially off the tap. I have yet to try it with a scoop of ice cream. But (laughs) it's definitely got the flavor for it, especially off the tap. The one point I was going to make about it, the strange difference about this is the taste of this beer tap versus out of a bottle is one of the most dramatic and I I guess um, noticeable differences that I've ever experienced between a between a beer of just those two those two classes before. The bottle flavor had a very, very strong um, caramel flavor to it, to the point that it was a bit overwhelming to the senses and kind of drowned out the the uh, the soda pop feel that you're ideally trying to get from from having it. And the tap did not have this. It was a, it was a much more mellow caramel fa- flavor, and just just flowed a lot easier between the two. The tap version of this beer is far is far better than the bottle. If you if you have a cho- choice between the two, go with the tap. Skip skip the bottle in the store. I'd agree with that, but you know, even if you don't have a choice, and the only thing you can find is the bottle, it's still well worth it, in my opinion. We'll definitely agree. Yeah, definitely agree. So, so yeah, so that will definitely be up on uh, on the website, and probably have at least a four and a half or five out of five on that. So for sure, for yeah. sure. And will spawn, I'm sure, some debate, some debate as well, because there's more people in Illinois that have had this uh, recently, and I think everybody's got an opinion about it. So. Yeah, absolutely. So stop over on our website. Let let us know what you think of uh, Not Your Father's Root Beer. Yeah. Okay, we're going to take a quick break. We will be right back with uh, with our recipe uh, for this month. We just got uh, done brewing this past weekend a apple flavored amber ale. So stay with us. 
So what do you think of this IPA? IPA is good. It's it's a little bit different after after a wheat, um, but it, it really is. Yeah. Isn't that interesting? Just how just I mean, going from one beer to the next, your palate changes, and your and your perception of one beer can change that much. Yeah, I mean, it, it's like it can affect, it, you know. Well, I mean, we know that. I mean, you got that's why in between beers, especially when you're judging, you have to cleanse your palate to make sure you're not being influenced by the ones before. True. So True. yeah, I mean, I think that the the wheat beer definitely gave this a slightly different edge than we had experienced say on sunday when we when this is the first thing that we dove into true true and i'm a big fan of this ipa too this is it's a it's a very different drink right now i must say i'm a little bit struggling with it but i'll i'll see if uh further down this glass if that changes at all (laughs) sid you've been too quiet here my friend what do you think while we're talking about the ipa i am not an ipa guy and this is one of the few, this is the first IPA I've actually enjoyed. Um, it, it has all the hoppiness you'd expect out of an IPA, but it's not overbearing like many, many IPAs are. Um, it gets to the aromatics on the front end when you're just about to take your sip and get in the smell, but um, the taste, I mean, it's its crisp, it's clean, it, it's, it gives the right amount of kick, and it doesn't really linger after, which is one of the biggest problems I have with IPAs. I feel like they just linger far too long. So your palate's really similar to mine in that in that regard, because yeah, there's too many IPAs in my opinion that are just too overwhelming to the palate. This one to me has re- has a really good balance, and it's just the exact amount of hoppiness that I think an ideal IPA should have. It's amazing how we made an IPA that we enjoy. <laughs> exactly, it's it's an IPA that we that we're that we're proud of, and we look forward to making again. Hopefully, we'll taste very similar to this and just kind of correct some, just a few of the imperfections that, uh, that this has. Sure, absolutely. So, anyways, getting started with the uh, second topic, um, we just got finished brewing a apple flavored amber ale, which is in our fermenter right now. And we're going to go over kind of the influence that uh, that came uh, that gave us the idea to put this brew together, and the ingredients that we uh, that we put it together with, and uh, where we go from here. So this is actually when we decided that we were going to go all grain, and we were just finishing with our last extract brew, which was the cream ale that we talked about earlier. Um, this was the very first recipe that I put together. Uh, I knew that an American Amber Ale is something I wanted to do. I recently had a failed um, cider attempt, and so I had a whole bunch of apple extract and apple um, flavoring and things like that. So I decided, I thought, I'm going to make an apple beer because, you know, why not? Yeah, for sure. And so that's kind of where this recipe came from. Good deal. Good deal. We got high hopes for it. the, uh, the grain bill and all the ingredients. I mean, we've, we've got the makings for a great beer, too. Yeah. And uh, one other thing that's changed since the uh, last broadcast, this is uh, this is the first brew that we've put together in a batch of uh, that's going to be 10 gallons large. Yeah. We, uh, we just received our new brew pot just uh, less than seven days ago. We uh, received it Friday afternoon. We were brewing uh, with it uh, two days later. Yeah, so I had one of those kid at Christmas moments when it came on Friday. <laughs> Immediately opened it and put it together. Um, For good reason. It is. I mean, what an upgrade this is. I mean, going from an eight gallon, uh, eight gallon kettle to a sixteen gallon with all the, 
all the uh, features that this has that the old one didn't have. It's a huge, huge upgrade for us. You know the one on here that I'm really happy with that I think that uh, if, if anybody, you know, if you're looking to upgrade your equipment, look for this. Or, you know, you can modify uh, a standard kettle and put one of these in is a in-kettle thermometer. Um, it, you know, you, there's a there's a kind of a meat thermometer exterior, an analog meat thermometer exterior, and a post that goes inside the kettle. So you can drill a hole and put one in, or you can get a kettle like we did that comes with one, and it just helps with the temperature accuracy and temperature management inside the brew kettle um, in ways that are you know you wouldn't imagine possible i think that's really the most significant upgrade i think from the from the last kettle to this one um we've used as much as three different instruments just to get accurate temperature readings yeah. just from different instruments this kettle by itself replaces all of those yeah we uh we ran the temperature against those other uh those other thermometers and it matches so not only is the thermometer there it's accurate yeah just one thing to note, though, if you're going to DIY it, um, our kettle came with a heat shield to put underneath the kettle, kind of to block um, any excess heat from reaching the actual, like, the face of the uh, thermometer when you're boiling your water or when you're keeping your wort warm. Um, so if you're going to DIY it, make sure you get an extra piece of metal to do the same thing or else you're going to throw your temperature readings all, all sorts of off. That's a, that's a great point. And the other part that that affects is the spigot. Yeah. Kind of the bottom of it. Yeah, this one has a spigot, so, uh, and we're going to get the equipment to, and we'll talk about this in a later show, hook it up to a pump and be able to pump it through a plate chiller to be able to cool the beer a whole lot faster than we can right now. And um, so the heat shield prevents that, that spigot from, you know, becoming 300 degrees as well. So, yeah. Yeah, this, this one uh, certainly took us time to cool down. Yeah, it did. Ten gallons takes a long time. To exactly. Cool we have a good uh, we have a good cooling system, but um, the added uh, the added um, added volume of this to ten gallons definitely creates a need for uh, for an upgrade of that as well. So I'm sure by the by the next brew we will have that in place already. So let's uh, let's go into the uh, ingredients. Yeah, I was just thinking that. Um, so what we used in this was a pale ale. A grain called uh, Golden Promise. Uh, it's a little bit smokier of a pale ale than you'll find um, for just a standard pale ale. And we used uh, a crystal malt of four, 40 Lovabonds, which is a slightly darker malt. Add some color, add some caramel notes to it as well. So hops. Yes. Uh, so the hops, we started out putting some Cascade, which is uh, by far my favorite hop. I think it's extremely versatile. The aroma's great, and it works in just a large array, vast array of beers. And at the very end, okay, so this is an American Amber Ale, and so I kind of cheated a little bit by using a UK hop, um, but it's called Fuggle, and that was added right towards the end of the, uh, right Fif towards the end of the boil. Yeah, 15 minutes before the end of the boil, right? Yeah, five minutes right before the end of the boil. <laughs> Oh boy, how many of these did I have I had? Yeah. No, no, no. I lost count. Um, yeast. We made a last-minute change of the yeast when we uh, when we were put, picking up the ingredients. We did. 
kind of the influence with that. Uh, we initially were going to go with a um, uh, safe ale English yeast, which we decided against at the last minute at the recommendation of our uh, of our friends at Chicago Brew Works. Yeah, who recommended we go with the it was a Y yeast uh, uh, Northern English ale yeast. Uh, I don't remember the code off the top of my head um, for it. And I will I will put it up online once uh, once I can get home and remember that. Um, but yeah, it, it worked out really well. We wanted we were we wanted to use that um, because the the strain that we used adds some kind of fruity notes to it. So we kind of figured with it being an apple amber ale that the extra fruity notes might help to bring that out and you know round out the the beers you know. The body and the temperature, uh, flavor profile, and things like that, and the sweetness that we expect to get get mm-hmm. from it at the end. We are now three days into the uh, fermentation process. We are seeing bubbles in the carboy. We are, yeah, and foam and everything you want to see. Very good, very good. So, fingers crossed. Uh, three to four days from now, we'll be uh, ready to move to the secondary and uh, keep the process going. Now the secondary is where where the real stuff is going to happen with this beer because uh, this will um, be our uh, second attempt at uh, adding fruit flavor to a beer. The plan is we're going to add uh, slices of uh, real apples to it. Yes. And if necessary, we'll add some apple extract to uh, to bring out the apple flavor in it. We had one attempt previously, which we talked about on the previous episode, where we uh, added pomegranates to a uh, wheat ale. That was a bit of a swing and a miss, a bit of a uh, learning experience for us, and this one uh, we're going to try to make right. Yeah, we're we kind of figured out that if you're going to be adding fruit, the the way you kind of have to look at it is go big or go home. Right. Yeah. Right. So we're we're going to go heavy with the fruit on this one. And, yeah. Uh, this is this is the one. This is the <laughs> one. I, I, I can feel it. The, this, this is this is the one. This 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 is the one. Okay. Yeah. And we're gonna have uh, have ten gallons of it. There'll be plenty to share and uh, and plenty to enjoy. So, uh, new ingredient, more of an additive that we put in this one that I thought we should talk about. Uh, it is a additive called Whirlflock. Oh, good call. Um, very very good call. Yeah, and so the trouble that we've been having because we don't have like glycol cooling systems and um, you know super fast crash temperatures on our beer is cloudiness is the proteins hanging out in there not crashing out of the liquid and being suspended in the in the solution and, and creating cloudiness in our beer and the whirl flock which is added 15 minutes prior to the end of the boil uh, helps that process along apparently and there's, there's big chemistry reason but apparently proteins are negatively charged whirlflock is positively charged so it bonds with all of that and it drops it out of the um, liquid a whole lot easier when you're cooling it even if you're not able to cool the cool it as fast as you know maybe you could uh, in other cases we should post some of these pictures online too when we went from the uh, once we cooled the wort, uh, once we cooled the wort and uh, moved it to the carboy, there was some color action in this carboy that was unlike anything we had seen before. Yeah, there was this, there was this really dense cloud within the liquid. It, I mean, it was impossible to miss. It was it was really dramatic, and 
you've seen this progressively change over the last three days. That that uh, that, that fog that was that was in that carboy is pretty much all gone now. Yeah, it's it's come basically down to just liquid with uh, the solids at the bottom uh, that we'll be able to filter out when we move it over to the secondary. Uh, so I'm really kind of hopeful that we're going to have a much clearer beer uh, than we've been able to achieve before. And this will it'll become a mainstay if this one works, which by all accounts it looks like it will. Yeah. Yeah. So that is our apple-flavored amber ale. Uh, fingers crossed, uh, about a week and a half from now, we should be doing our first uh, taste test and uh, should be ready to go. Yeah, we did have a little bit of trouble with this one in, in another um, aspect of it, and that was the mash step. Um, our equipment prior to that, we had a 10-gallon mash tank, uh, and we, had, we were brewing 10 gallons of beer. And that means that if you're brewing 10 gallons that you need to start with you start with 15 gallons of water and so we were having some trouble fitting all of that into the um, mash tun during in between the uh, mash step and the and the sparge steps and such so this uh, became basically a multi-step mash it did um, we did the original mash and we did that at about 30 minutes correct and then we uh, did the, the first sparge, and, uh, and then we did the second sparge, and the second sparge was a little larger, and that was basically right at the top of the mash tun, so. Right. Yeah. And the gravity readings were all, were all consistent. They were right where, where they should have been. Yeah. Yeah, I think we were off by like a point, you know, a point or two. Right. When we were, um, when we were done with the boil, but, you know, it wasn't so bad, and that's... That's well within tolerance. So. Oh, for sure. Yeah, our target original gravity was 1.054. We came at 1.053. Yeah. So, I mean, I mean, right there. We have all, all came out the way it should have. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Apple-flavored amber ale. It's going to be a good one. Yeah. We also uh, have done a couple other things. Uh, we did a Saison. Yes, uh, we did. That was for Big Brew Day. Yes, uh, the Saison is a French-style beer, a farmhouse beer. Uh, that one, um, I, don't, I don't know the ingredients off the top of my head on that one. We'll, we'll come up with that real quick. Okay. Because we do have that. So that one we did for Big Brew Day, which it occurs every spring, and it's usually at the beginning of May. A bunch of people get together in a parking lot. They make various types of beers, talk about different techniques, and then a lot of times what happens is after those beers are done, you'll bring them to an event, say a month or two later, to share them and share your experiences with uh, the brewing, fermenting, and things like that with those processes. I don't recall if we'll have the opportunity with this one. I don't know if we will, but at the very least, we'll have five gallons of Saison to, to try out. That's, so. that, I, I feel totally fine with that. <laughs> <laughs> no, it really was a great experience. And being able to brew alongside about four or five different teams that were, uh, that were, that were brewing different recipes as well, it was, it was a good learning experience uh, for us. The people were awesome. Very glad we did it. Um, so here was the uh, here was kind of the uh, the uh, grain makeup of the saison. We had uh, uh, Dingemann's Pilsen, we had uh, Weiermauser uh, Munich Two, and we had a small amount of uh, caramel wheat malt. Yeah, caramel crystal crystal malt. 
That's uh, again, that's right. Yeah, and crystal 40 love bonds. So yeah, so that was that you know three different types of um, grains for different purposes. You know, Pilsen for the base malt, Munich to add some color and some flavor, and the crystal to add the the caramel notes and some more color. So yeah, that was that was good. It was. And our hop makeup, uh, it had a pretty simple uh, hop makeup. We had uh, one ounce of citra. Yes. Add a whole bunch of citra is great for those like grapefruit and other fruity notes and such. So we're, Saison is not a hoppy beer by any stretch of the mind. So you really just want that really uh, good solid aroma in there. So um, put that right in towards the end of the boil. And it's just that it's, hopefully just bring all that out so yeah a couple other additions as well two very very nice flavors yeah. ginger root yeah and coriander seed mm-hmm. so crystallized ginger and crushed coriander which it was interesting and the first time that we've really dealt with that level of spices in a beer so this is the perfect uh, beer blend for that as well yeah. I, mean, the, I mean, the Saison is really going to going to absorb that makeup very well. Yeah. And this if, was a great one to experience with. As Sig can attest, I ran the coriander seed through the grain mill at the at this location. And the lemon and citrus notes that came off that coriander were amazing. Uh, it was a great smell. And, you know, when you talk about a Saison, and especially with, with the hops that we were working with, um, I think it's really going to complement it very well and uh, just really come together. You're gonna get those citrus notes that a good Saison should have. And I don't think it's gonna be too strong. I think it's gonna be just right. Yeah. Yeah, it should come out to about 5%, you know, alcohol. Um, uh, Ideal for a good good chill summer beer. Yeah, so uh, hopefully that will complement the amber ale nicely and we'll be able to drink those together. We've had some fermentation issues with this one. We have. So right now, this beer is in the uh, is moved into the secondary. We have added a second uh, second insert of yeast in an effort to bring the gravity down to an appropriate level to achieve that five uh, percent alcohol by volume. That's the uh, that's the goal amount. Um, George, you had some thoughts as to what may have contributed to the uh, struggles with this fermentation process. I did. Um... A lot of my thoughts uh, have to do with the possibility that, you know, every once in a while with any kind of a um, organ, I mean, yeast is a living organism, so it's not going to be super predictable like a chemical would be all the time. And sometimes you just get a, a bad batch or, you know, a packet of yeast that is not up to snuff, and so you don't get as many of the organisms that are needed for uh, fermenting the beer. Uh, this went from 1054 down to 1030 uh, and just kind of stopped. Uh, so we took a neutral yeast called uh, Safe Ale US05 uh, that won't add or modify the flavors too much and threw that in as a secondary pitch to help bring that down. So now that's that's kind of kicking in and, and we have a slow uh, ferment on that too so hopefully that will be able to help cor- correct a lot of those issues and the goal with that is to bottle about three to four days from now 
uh, barring any further complications with the secondary fermentation process. Yeah. So I tell you, just uh, seeing these ingredients, I saw the uh, ginger root and the coriander, and I immediately got thirsty for this beer. (laughs) (laughs) So come on, fermentation. I definitely (laughs) want to get a taste of this. So we got to tell one story about the uh, about the brewing for uh, for this um, for this saison. We we had a bit of an embarrassing uh, problem during brew day, and just for humor's sake, I feel the need to bring up this uh, the story on this uh, on this show. Um, Mid boil, we encountered a problem that no brewer should have to go with. We ran, we out, ran of out of propane. <laughs> We lost our flame and we lost our boil. <laughs> so we had to run out real quick and get some new propane. Yep. So. And I ran like a bat out of hell. <laughs> to Fortunately, there was a gas station within about two blocks that had uh, new propane tanks. So got it strapped on, got the boil going again, and finished up the brew. Yeah, we were only probably out for five or ten minutes in the boil, so I don't think it should affect it too much. In the scheme of things, I think we came out pretty good in that regard. For yeah. for losing a flame to only lose it for about five to ten minutes, I think is doing pretty good. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. So, two brews in one month. Yeah. Ahead of schedule of our uh, 2015 goal of uh, one brew per month. It's more of a guideline, really. It, it is. <laughs> no, I mean, we've, we've, we've exceeded it already. I mean, we. This is not the first month in 2015 that we've uh, done two brews. Yeah, yeah, two brews of beer. Technically, <laughs> we've done three things this month um, because just tonight uh, we put together uh, the beginnings of a raspberry mead. Um, again, thank for thank- the people that don't know what mead is. Let's 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 give kind of an overall definition of mead. Mead is a mead is a very unique. Uh, drink and and I I had never even heard of mead until we went to our uh, first uh, brewers meetup in uh, here in Donners Grove. Oh yeah, okay. Um, so beer is grain based, wine is grape based, and mead is honey based. So um, basically, mead is a honey liquor. Um, so Sid Sid knows a guy apparently works with him that makes honey or has has bees make honey and you know so we were able to get that bee fresh honey without the preservatives without any added sugars or anything like that um you know mixed it with you know, meats actually in, in its simplistic form is very simple fairly simple to make uh you obviously have to make sure you sanitize and then you take some water and honey mix it together really well and then you can add any kind of fruit flavors or spice flavors that you wanted to in this case, we added raspberries to them. Um, so I ended up using we're ended up using a wine yeast for this called um, D forty seven that is supposed to create a slightly dry mead, um, but should still be fruity and flavorful. Um, the only draw- drawback to mead that you'll have sometimes is it can take a very long time to ferment and mature. And the rule of thumb with that fermentation is the longer the better. Yes. We've talked to people that have sat on meads for up to two years. Yeah. Yeah, letting it mature in the in the uh, in the bottle and uh, and just let it 
let it sit, let it develop its flavors. It's going to be very tempting for me to um, acquire some more clear growlers, make a bunch of mead with a bunch of different fruit, and just throw them in a closet and come to them when you decide to. I'm I'm hoping we can be patient enough to do that whole throw it in a closet thing because. <laughs> I'm kind of excited to try what we're doing here. It, and, do, it does know. look really, really tasty. Right. So, adventures in uh, two different uh, beers this month, and now a mead. Mm-hmm. So, moving right along. Coming up next, the future. We are going to have our lesson for the week, so stay, stay with us. Welcome back. (laughs) Welcome back to A Nice Place to Brew. I'm Jason. This is George. This is Sid. We are moving into uh, segment three. Uh, We're moving into the future. Yeah. Gone gone through the brews that we've drank recently. Went uh, over our past three recipes, which we've made in the last uh, last month since our last broadcast. We're moving into the future. This is our uh, lesson segment, and uh, we're going to talk about a topic that's pertinent to um, all of us brewers. And uh, might uh, walk away with something you can carry over to your next uh, to your next brewing. We're going to talk today about fermentation and the importance of temperature control. This is an area that we struggled with for, uh, with a number of our brews, uh, at least initially. Uh, we we started brewing uh, late last year, and we headed right into the winter months, uh, where we uh, brewed several batches. And uh, one thing about uh, the Midwest during winter time, it's really cold. Yeah. So uh, the uh, the need to uh, raise temperatures appropriately is is very much present, and uh, the implications are definitely there for any beer that you would be making uh, during those months or any months for that matter. If you follow a uh, brew guide, um, they break down uh, beers into two categories, and they give two different ranges for ideal temperatures to be keeping your liquid during fermentation. If you're making a, uh, an ale of any kind, whether that be a, uh, a stout, a uh, IPA, help me out here, George, <laughs> so other, st- other styles. Uh, cream ale, Saison, um, Pilsner, Muni- uh, Municellus, you know, those Very kinds good. of things. Very good. The ideal uh, temperature for fermentation for, for any of those uh, styles of beer is between 68 to 72 degrees. Um, lager is the is the big difference uh, in the mix of those. Um, lager uh, has a much colder fermentation process and really requires the uh, requires a separate uh, refrigeration uh, to be present uh, so you can ferment it properly. Uh, the temperature for for the lager ideally is uh, 45 degrees to 55 degrees. Obviously, so that's your you're in the refrigerator uh, temperatures when you do that. The um, implications for being outside of those temperatures, I'll uh, give a brief description of those. Um, say if we're making, say, with the last brew we talked about it was a, was a Saison, which we made just uh, within the last couple of weeks. If our fermentation was cooler than 68 degrees uh, throughout the process, the problems that we would have um, with that beer um, would be we would likely have a surplus of sugars left over in the beer after we bottled it. There would be less alcohol in the beer because there would be uh, there would be less uh, sugars for the yeast to be consuming and uh, 
leaving extra um, alcohol by volume in the process. And you also open up the added opportunity for contaminants to grow within the liquid. Not what you want in a beer that you're drinking, for sure. Let's talk about the opposite. Uh, say it was not uh, not too cool of a fermentation process, or I, sh I should say, say if it was not uh, not too cool during fermentation, say it was too warm during fermentation. The effect that that would have is you would have too aggressive of a fermentation. Um, basically, you would be eating more sugars than ideally you should, and you'd be having a final gravity lower than your than your target, and your alcohol by volume would be different uh, than, than what your target is. Um, as a nasty side effect, it will produce a harsh solvent-like flavor within your beer. Yeah, it's solvent, or, or I've heard sometimes you can get kind of a butterscotch or, uh, um, you know, flavors, which, you know, some of them, that doesn't sound terrible but if it's not what you're expecting out of that that beer and that flavor it's not going to be good so very good point good point so what that comes down to and what's important for all of us is what can we as brewers do to mitigate these these negative possibilities and regulate our fermentation uh, temperatures appropriately well one thing you can do is you can um, you can be selective about what room you keep your fermenter in but not everybody has that option. So say if you're limited to certain rooms where you're gonna be keeping your carboy or bucket uh, during a fermentation, what can you do to keep that temperature in a healthy, um, in a, in a healthy place? Well, George and I have, uh, have discovered a, uh, a, good, uh, a, good, a good instrument to, uh, to, to bring into your process which can uh, give you an extra layer of control over, uh, over your temperature. And it's made by a company called Dough Cooler. It is what it is is a uh, is a temperature switch, which wires to a brew belt, which would uh, strap uh, around uh, the uh, perimeter of the carboy. And what the switch does is it is it basically functions as a temperature regulator. And when you get below a certain uh, certain degree uh, in the room, it tells the Dough Cooler instrument to switch on. And will create a heating source to deliver directly into the uh, into the carboy. So the the brew belt that you mentioned earlier is actually a uh, it's a rubberized belt that you put around the carboy. There's a heating element inside of it. So when the dough cooler turns on, it turns on the power to that brew belt, and that that belt warms up and helps to you know warm up the temperature of the beer inside the carboy or inside the bucket. Uh, another point, important part about the, how that dough cooler works is there's temperature probe. There's a temperature probe that comes off of that. They actually drop into the sanitize and drop into the beer. So it's not measuring the temperature of the room as much as it's measuring the temperature of the liquid itself. Uh, you have to be careful when you're doing that to make sure that you still have a seal, an airtight seal, when you're going into the to the beer. That I made that mistake at first and bad things happen you get overflow and you know you, if you don't have an airtight seal but you want to make sure you have that and you drop that temperature probe ideally right in the middle of the liquid make sure it's sanitized too yes anything that touches your beer should be sanitized that's a that's a rule that all all brewers should abide by so that's our temperature control 
Yeah, uh, one important thing to mention about temperature control too is if you have it in an area that is has temperature fluctuations, uh, and it goes hot and it goes cold and and, and things like that, um, that can have an effect as well. Good point. So if you're going, um, what you're doing at that point is if you're going, if you have a wild swing in temperature um, and it's you know becoming super warm and then crashing down and becoming cold, you're you'll stress the yeast and that will cause it to release um, things into the beer that you, the flavors that you don't want uh, sometimes it will end fermentation early because those guys those little guys get stressed out and they die and then you know you won't get the, the kind of fermentation that you're looking for out of your beer so temperature control to make sure you're in that temperature range is important but also consistency so the dual cooler the, the dual cooler, the device that we have is adjustable. You can set it to keep it within a certain temperature tolerance. The default and what we kept it at was two degrees off of what we set it at. So we tried to hit the middle of the temperature range and say if it's two degrees lower than this, turn it on and bring it back up to that temperature. Good point. Good point. It's a huge addition. Yeah. I mean... We're surprised that there's not more examples in the market of instruments that really kind of bring this out. Yeah, I mean, this one is really cost effective. Uh, I think what was it, twenty five dollars? I think it was even less. It was like twenty bucks. Okay. On top of that, the uh, the brew belt. Yeah. I wonder if part of it is just I mean, because it does it does it doesn't involve some uh, uh, knowledge of wiring. Yeah. Which fortunately, George, being the very smart man that he is knew exactly how to how to wire this uh, this instrument up and uh, and get it working he's rolling he's rolling his eyes right now and I'm not quite sure why a little trial and error but we got there uh, it was well. very impressive what, what, I mean it was just, just telling a story about this once it was understood that the instrument is is basically a switch George George immediately immediately knew exactly what what was needed to to get it working and Kicked it right on. Well, thank you. <laughs> uh, there, I mean, there are other temperature controllers out there. There's analog ones that some people swear by, saying that they're more accurate. Uh, there's ones that can do multiple different temperatures. So you could do heating and cooling with the same temperature controller. Uh, this is by far not the not the only one on the market, but it's the most effective one that we found, and we just kind of stumbled across it, actually. We did. It came off a recommendation from uh, from being at a um, at a competition just within the last couple yeah. of months. So we'd highly recommend it. We'll post up a quick review of it on, on this episode so you guys can, can get a link to it if you wanted to get one yourself. I'll put the question out there as well to anybody who's, uh, who's listening to this and who's, uh, who comes by our website or one of our social media sites. What are you using to uh, to control your temperature? It is it is an important part of the brew process, and we're only familiar with really a couple of the possibilities to uh, to uh, to put into the process. I'm very curious to hear what other uh, brewers uh, or other groups are are doing to to create this effect. So uh, come by our website, like we like we said, a nice place to brew dot com. Uh, we've got a Facebook page, a nice place to brew, uh, Instagram account, a nice place to brew. Uh, our Twitter account, which is different, nice place to brew is our is our Twitter account. Let us know. Sit, drop us a message or uh, or uh, post a comment to one of our uh, 
to one of our posts, just uh, let us know. This it'd be interesting to talk. Uh, an interesting topic. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, t- control. I've seen some pretty elaborate setups. There's there's setups that you can do called brew box, uh, where people actually build cabinets and boxes to put the, these kinds of things in. And instead of using a brew belt, which uh, one thing I want to note about the brew belt, it, on the brew belt it actually says do not use on glass. Uh, there's a couple reasons for this. This could be important. A couple reasons for this. You can have problems with glass, and I'll get into that for in a second. But also, the maker of the brew belt only makes plastic pails. So take that with a grain of salt. <laughs> if you use a brew belt, do not use... Do, make sure you're not trying to heat up glass from an extremely cold temperature with a single source of heat around the middle like a brew belt would provide. That will that kind of temperature differential in glass will cause it to break and shatter. Um, the other part is if you are using a brew belt, try not to have it on a surface that will suck the heat out the bottom. And you'll have the same kind of an effect and it'll have um, it, it could be detrimental. So if you're doing it in a basement like we are, Try to make sure it's elevated. Try to make sure it's not on the concrete floor um, where th- that kind of heat will be drawn out the bottom and, and a brew belt will, one, be working overtime and, two, might have an effect on the, on the glass. So use them, obviously, with caution. Uh, monitor it the first couple times that you use it to make sure that you're not running into any problems with your wiring or with the equipment or anything like that. Because obviously you're using the heating element, you have the potential for heat-related problems like you know fire. So or glass sure, breakage, which is important or too. Or glass breakage. So just make sure you're using those responsibly and uh, in, an, in in a controlled environment. So that's temperature control. Just uh, in a in a quick note. Uh, that's uh, that's our last segment. We are going to uh, kind of close out here uh, uh, here in a minute. Uh, it is uh, it is late May. We are uh, upon uh, upon traveling. Uh, George uh, George Sid and I will all be uh, vacationing over the next uh, over the next week or so over in uh, Key West, Florida. So being out of the Midwest, uh, we will be making note of a uh, number of uh, brews that uh, we'll be having in uh, in Florida that we can't find here in the Midwest. We'll be looking forward to uh, to sharing that uh, with everybody and. Uh, it should just be a good experience overall. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, uh, we'll see. Uh, we're not planning to bring the uh, recording equipment on this, but uh, that uh, doesn't necessarily mean that we're not going to uh, bring some kind of uh, audio piece of uh, of some kind with us. We'll uh, we'll see exactly what that's uh, going to mean when we get uh, get down there and see what's uh, what's available to us. But at the very least, we will be updating our social media pages on a regular basis while we're while we're out there. Although, be fair. You actually considered it. Oh, I'm still considering it. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm not. I'm not totally ruling it out. I mean that 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 interface right there is not the size that's too limiting that we couldn't throw that in the back. I'll have my computer with me. <laughs> this now, might be. This might be coming together. <laughs> so, um, as always, thank you for listening and uh, let us know if you have any questions or topics that you would like to hear in the future um, so we can make sure that you guys are getting the information that you need. And this is a nice place to brew. 
Always remember, it takes a lot of good beer to make great beer. And that being said, cheers. Cheers.